Hello, Anthony here, outside of our normal schedule and beyond the normal bounds of time and space. You know, July. We're trying something new this summer, ladling a little bit of extra gravy onto your off-season mashed potatoes. But don't worry, it's mushroom. What a joy for us all. We're producing a series of interviews with some folks we feel are on the forefront of modern horror. We'll be discussing how their work is reshaping and, in some ways, redefining the horror genre across different styles and mediums. Now, this project would not be possible without the support of our patrons on Patreon. So if you are one, thank you. And if you aren't, I'd consider becoming one. I mean, of course I would. You'll get access to an ad-free RSS, bonus stories, and a full behind-the-scenes discussion for every episode we release. But for now, please enjoy Alexander and Jacob's chat with the King of Chitin, the Sultan of Slime, the Commander-in-Chief of Scum Gland and Beef, Trevor Henderson, Monster Artist. Hello, I'm Jacob Duarte Spiel. And I'm Alexander Saxton. And we're two-thirds of Wrong Station. Anthony couldn't be here today. He's getting more teeth put into his head at the Get dentist. Get them all put in there. Get a lot more. <laughs> and uh, from that delightful little chuckle, you can hear that we have with us in the studio, in the mind studio, mind in the chamber. chamber, in the chamber of the dreamscape of the mind octagon. We have the creator of such obscenities as Siren Head, Cartoon Cat, and Long Horse, the podcast Mayfair Watcher Society, and a new book of middle grade spooky tales called Scare Waves. It's Trevor Henderson, Monster Impresario. Trevor, how you doing? I'm good. Hello. I've never uh, been described as a monster impresario before. That's great. And also, I really like uh, referring to Siren Head as an obscenity. That's great. That's, that's, yeah. that's, I think you. that's accurate. Uh, very happy to be here. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> Have you seen um, what Siren Head looks like? He looks like an obscenity. I'm sorry to he's say. He's very wet, Trevor. Tre- Trevor, when you were desi- did you ever think of giving him a towel to, you know, towel, towel <laughs> some of that off? There's there's wet varieties and there's there's dried out uh dehydrated varieties. You get all you get all sorts. This is actually a question that I've had for a while. Do you think monsters shower? I mean, I mean that totally depends on cognizance levels of of any one particular monster uh but generally no i don't think so. generally no are there any monsters who want to shower but can't won't like be let into places that have plumbing i think that all monsters would probably in the in the end appreciate a shower they'd feel better um but they wouldn't understand what was happening to be like mm. a cat like a angry mm. cat uh, yeah. lashing out so it's not worth it in the end for anybody but i think that if they could open their heart they would learn to enjoy a hot shower so trevor uh for listeners who you know this is a an audio medium we're describing your work which is purely visual how how would you describe your work for people who who haven't seen it before um yeah it's kind of uh double faceted where i work uh in digital uh you know with my my tablet doing digital paintings um usually uh i do a lot of uh, horror book novel covers and and posters like that kind of thing um but i think what i've kind of become known for in the last four three or four years is um taking uh photos uh what the kids would call liminal uh these days mm-hmm. and uh you know usually stuff i take myself or, or donated from uh people online uh, and then kind of uh, painting in monsters into these kind of mundane 
urban or suburban environments and then kind of just trying to color match them as best as possible to give kind of an uncanny feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what you'd even call that. I guess like like spooky photo bashing or like ghost photos, something like that. But mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm I'm best known for is drawing drawing weird online monsters that become popular and then putting them in photos of your bedroom. And so what what would be the prototypical Trevor Henderson monster? What 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 are the hallmarks? What are the the visual signifiers? Oh man, I you know it's the you know every artist, especially concept artists and people who are doing creatures, uh, have the things that they get hung up on. And uh, I do a lot of like really elongated, emaciated looking things. I, I think that something scarier if it looks unwell or sick. Mm-hmm. Um, it, even over being like hostile or or with murderous intent or whatever. So I do a lot of like uh, you know really showing ribs through through paper skin kind of thing, and then lots of teeth mm-hmm. and uh, human teeth, like the flat ones. Um, yep. And. Uh, <laughs> Molars, just technical mo- term. All, sorry, all, all molars and uh, yeah, incisors and uh, and no eyes. Just I I don't really have a. I think there's like four eyes throughout every monster I've ever drawn altogether, um, and then usually just kind of juxtaposing that with very uh, like the, the the kinds of environments and buildings and spaces you see every single day on your mm-hmm. daily travels, and just kind of like kind of trying to use the frisson between those two things uh, to. Mm-hmm give kind of a cool effect, I guess. It's sort of the experience of like when you're a kid and you, you know, you look down the stairs to your basement yeah. maybe and or, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're climbing up the stairwell at your apartment in your apartment building and you can't totally see around the corner and there could yeah. be something there, but there probably isn't, right? Exactly. Um and you know, I, I think the most successful pieces I've done really uh lean into it being more subtle and kind of hide hiding a lot of that. And it's it's a tightrope to walk between showing off a, a painting or a character design, and then wanting to be scarier because it's in the shadows and it's leaving it up to interpretation a little more. Could I could I go back? You said something interesting where you said that yeah. this is what you've become known for over the past four years. Yeah. Uh, what what were you doing before that? What was the um, sort of lead into this kind of work? Um, you know, I was before that. I guess I was learning to use my tablet at the time um, while working retail and uh, just trying out. It was still dry monsters. I've just been drawing monsters since I was like six, mm-hmm. and I imagine I will do that until I die. Um, but just a lot of uh, uh, movie movie fan art. I'm obviously a big horror movie fan, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and just you know trying out different things online and then seeing if anything kind of like got a reaction and. Uh, yeah, and then I did a full painting. The first thing I did was a full painting of um, what I wanted to do was a moment from a found footage horror movie that didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the most popular thing I'd done at the time up until that point. So then that kind of snowballed until eventually it was using real photos and became the kind of thing I'm doing now. But before that, like like I said, I was a lot of fan art um, and just like weird sketches of monsters, but purely digital, I guess. So, so when you're designing monsters and you talk about how much how much you're revealing to the viewer, um, yeah. in, in your mind, do you do you have the whole anatomy of of the thing sketched out for yourself, and then and then you're just sort of mo- moving the shadow up? Is it mysterious so, even to you? It's um it it's it's uh I've never done a sketch beforehand, um or even in the process of doing one of those photo based ones. I always will just draw draw flat onto the the. The photo with no idea of what I'm gonna really draw, aside mm-hmm. from a really very vague idea, and then it kind of forms as I'm doing it, mm-hmm. um, and then I just try and make it as detailed as I 
possibly can and, and make sure everything matches up in terms of lighting and color and texture and all that. And then at the end, I'll walk it back and play with um, transparency and put in the shadows and really like push it further away. Mm -hmm. um, so there's lots of them where it'll be like something that's really obscured or blurred or or uh, indistinct because of um, uh, you know the motion of the camera, supposedly. Uh, and but it's only after the fact that I've done this after like doing a really detailed painting, I guess. Um, and then just, when you come back to characters multiple times, sort of new aspects of them are, are revealed to you until yeah, the creature is sort of like this amalgamation is sort of this emergent thing. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a real like um, audience response level to that mm. too, where like um, a certain piece will, you know, for instance, become more popular. A certain drawing of of a character will become more popular than the other ones. That'll become like the 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 mode of that character going forward, I guess. Um, and then you can kind of patch together like it's like many different people encountering like a monster in the wild over a course of like years. Mm -hmm. And then if you laid those all out, you can kind of put together you know, what it would look like, I guess, is kind of how uh -huh. I work, if that makes any sense. Oh, that's totally. really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, like Siren Head, uh, for instance, which is by far the most popular thing somehow I've ever made. Um, it just that that guy's really changed a little bit over the years in terms of scale. Um, you know, when I first did it, when I first drew the character, sorry, it was in, you know, three or four different photos with a little flavor text and stuff like I do. And it wasn't for a couple of years till the character caught on. And at that point, when it when it caught on and started kind of weirdly going viral, it was massively taller. It was like almost kaiju sized. Mm -hmm. So like I kind of like found a nice happy middle ground there where it ended up being a lot bigger than I initially envisioned it, but not to the point where it's Godzilla sized because that's not scary at all to me. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, like I said, it's totally shaped by you know the response and the audience. Interesting. And yeah. and is there a monster that you felt? was going to have a bigger response than it actually got or was there one that you you wish had gotten a bigger response than it actually got um well it's it's really unpredictable i've never like sat down and tried to do one that i'm like this one's gonna blow up because i think that's folly especially with the internet there's no yes. proving there's no if you set out to make something viral it will have the stink of it on it and it will never ever it'll sink like a stone in my experience um i and it's also weird because like you know, a lot of times, most times with characters and like, uh, you know, properties like this that get really popular, there's like a movie or a book or, or something backing it up. And these guys kind of just are characters, they're just drawings, like they're OCs basically online that um that have somehow become popular in a way that still mystifies me. Um, so it's all extra super unpredictable. Um, um, but I guess to answer your question, I really like these characters I made, I think, fairly recently so they might still catch on even more called the sisters of the ever sharpening blade that are kind of mm -hmm. like my cenobite surrogates a little bit um uh -huh. they're like these weird victorian ladies with covered veil faces that are like a interdimensional knife worship blade worshiping uh cult and their their head is like a mass of blades underneath um, oh it's yeah these are good thank you yeah i like them and they've gotten a great response but like um i really want to do like i, I want to do something substantial with all my characters i just haven't really had the time like i want to do like i want to write the siren head book i want to do something with long horse i want to like actually give them like a house to live in in the form of a story uh i just have not yet um and i think i have a really good idea for those those ladies in particular and i think that i there'd be a really cool 
fun period set horror story in the um like the epistolary st- style like yeah oh yeah perfect That'd yeah be yeah done through like lit. yeah yeah goth exactly you get it exactly um so yeah i'd like to see those ladies get more more of their due even well, well if you ever have a I, short story that, yeah, yeah um, performed yeah. <laughs> also, yeah, i absolutely. didn't know that the sisters of the ever sharpening blade were yours i just they're, they're oh, really? just in like a like a cloud of of horrible things from the internet that are sort of yeah. rustling around in the dark spaces in my brain and oh cool and, and, and it makes them less scary to know where they came from. I know. So it's, I appreciate it, that. I'm sorry I took that from you. I love that they were just like a thing. That's kind of the goal. Is, is it's it's like a double sided blade where like that's kind of the goal, but also like mm-hmm. it is also mine and and don't do horrible things to my babies at the same time. It's the internet, so it's hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I had a, there was one that I saw recently when I was doing some additional research, because I know your work, but I, I wanted to like really know it. And I came yeah. across the singing clergyman. Oh, God, I love that thing. And it's, yeah, that I thing's very a, good. I think it's such a cool idea. And, and I have I, I have ideas for it. But I have again, it's something I haven't had the time to sit down and do like a whole narrative for. Um, but I love that one because it's I love monsters that um, are not uh like you can you can kind of see them having another purpose besides just killing people yeah when you design a monster just to kind of like hunt down people and kill them it's very clear that there was no thought having them having an outside life you know when the when the the viewer isn't looking at them and Mm -hmm. i really like monsters i i try and really i try really hard to make this something that you can think about my creatures and monsters i make up is that they have like a world that a whole thing that they have going on aside from torturing and killing you Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, find, well, I think that's cool. So, ha- has a sort of philosophy of the monstrous emerged out of out of the work that you've been doing? You know, is is there yeah. something that unites all of these creatures um, in your head? I mean, I, a lot of it is just like uh, you know the the kind of aesthetic choices that'll pop up over and over again with the same artist, like like we were talking about with mm-hmm. a lot of mouths, a lot of teeth, and a lot of uh, elongated limbs and that kind of thing. But I I, I guess I have like a design eat ethos or a design idea for for doing monsters where i try and make them at least a little bit silly i've spoken about this in mm-hmm. the past i feel like that if a monster isn't um at least uh a little bit in danger of being taken as completely ridiculous then you get too far towards the monster just being cool and if a okay. monster is cool it's never scary it can be threatening or dangerous but it's not frightening mm-hmm. so you need to have something be kind of ludicrous um if you ever want to reach for something being like actually scary i think mm-hmm. um if that makes any sense at all uh like you know the the cool elements of a monster like for me are like spikes and wings and like big sharp teeth and those all feel dangerous like a tiger would be dangerous mm-hmm. but they're not they're not scary to me like something that looks sad when it's coming at you or like uh, perplexed or has certain characteristics that are you know befuddling or ridiculous or funny um mm-hmm. i guess that's my main guiding principle or try that's to really interesting something. is there is there a monster that you can like that people might know from a movie for example like that, yeah. that that you feel exemplifies that idea i'm thinking like immediately i'm thinking of you know the cenobites who look kind of silly like they're all draped in leather they yeah. often have like really weird piercings or like very odd like like lips and 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 eyes 
the Cenobites are a great example. Um, not for even looking ridiculous to me, because I think they, I do think they look cool, but it, it yeah. goes in the opposite direction because they, they've all done it to themselves. It's all, mm. um, they've all changed. They've changed their form themselves. So it's like, what are they going to do to you? Right. Um, it's not even you being frightened of them killing you. It's, it's what other things can they do? Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, for what I was talking about in terms of something kind of being silly, there's certain elements um, in the Pennywise design from the yes. films mm. that I that I think are really successful. It leans a little bit too heavily for me into the big sharp teeth thing mm-hmm. um, and kind of like running right at the camera and doing the whole jittery thing. Uh, but I really like how he has like wall eyes that go in either direction and like just stuff that's strange, like strange mm-hmm. choices are cool. I like whenever I see little things like that in a monster, um, just like eccentricities, I guess. I'm thinking mm. about uh, Gary Oldman and Bram Stoker's Dracula with his sort yeah. of beehive hairdo and how, how much more frightening he is than any yeah. vampire in, in any other piece of literature. Yeah, it's it's super silly, but like it's iconic and you remember it and it works and it, it just gives him this extra lived in aspect that he mm-hmm. wouldn't have had otherwise, you know? So was that related to monsters having having a, another function beyond hunting yeah. and killing you? Absolutely. Uh, and and sort of hinting at this this broader world, this broader reality that they inhabit with its own alien sensibilities? Yes, absolutely. Um I feel like if a monster has like an interiority or like a mm-hmm. has its own kind of thing happening, especially if it's like baffling or like beyond your understanding because they're from somewhere else that's so much weirder and scarier and just inherently uncanny and off-putting than if it was basically the equivalent of like a grizzly bear, but weird looking, mm-hmm. you know? That's so yeah. interesting. Cause you know, when we, when we look at monsters, especially let's use like alien as an example. Yeah. Uh, the xenomorph, like when we, when we look at a monster like that, usually these monsters are created in order to offer a specific sort of antagonism that matches a psychological like the, the the psychological drama that's happening in the film. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. And so something like Alien, you know, is is uh, people have pointed out that it's it's a metaphor for for sexual assault because you've got yeah. this, like it's a metaphor for for disease. It's it's all these different metaphors. Uh, yeah. Or we could talk about the fly um, in yeah. uh, in David Cronenberg's The Fly. Uh, you know, Jeff Goldblum's transformation is is representative. A lot of people point out of of things like HIV AIDS and yeah. cancer yeah. and disease as it moves through the body. Um, you know, and these are very specific, but then you see, you know, what will happen is uh, when these movies catch on, there's an expansion of the universe when the sequels come yeah. out and, and suddenly yeah. the monster has this interiority because you know what it is like the aliens is all about, you know, while it is also about the psychology of the character, cause it's about motherhood and it's about, you know, the alien having a mom and, and the mom yeah. wanting to take care of its babies and then Ripley's defending a child. But like yeah. it also is providing that that same you know psychological depth to the monster itself. Yeah, and and that's that's really interesting. I'd never thought about it in those terms, but yeah, like as as these films expand, they're not just exploring new ideas for the characters; they're exploring new ideas and yeah. and interiority specifically for the monsters. That's I'm so happy you brought up the Xenorf because a it's probably the best creature design ever, ever. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and and it's really interesting that you brought up how it relates to the themes in both mo- both movies because i feel like in the first one it has that kind of strange um inner world that you're not privy to like the whole thing with the 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 mom xenomorph and alien is that it's 
it moves so strangely in this almost languid way, and you can never really tell what it's going to do. And it's almost like every time it's on screen, you see it in such a way that it's almost hard to parse what you're looking at. It's like this great unknowable thing. Mm-hmm. It, you know, Giger intentionally removed the eyes because he, he felt it was less knowable if it was just this blank slate. Um, and then I feel like in Aliens, it had, like you said, such great themes about motherhood and, uh, you know, kind of making a parallel for Ripley and Newt with the Alien Queen and the drones that you remove a little bit of that interior world that the monster in the first film had where it's less known and turn it into more of a hive in order to fit the theme of motherhood. So it's all about repurposing for whatever mm-hmm. um, whatever you're saying in, in, in each, each film, I guess. Um, but that's really cool how, like, I felt like, yeah, like I said, in the first one, it, it's like this unknowable thing that was kind of retrofitted with themes for the second one when James yeah. Cameron came. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Yeah, that's in, that's really interesting. So I had a, a question. You know, you got body horror, you got serial killers, torture porn, existential dread, psychodrama. These are all yeah. shared. You know, these are aspects of the horror genre. And then you gravitate towards monsters. Do you? Yeah. And you were saying earlier you've been drawing them since you were no six. And I think everybody has a phase where they try and draw monsters. But this has become a an avenue that you 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 know you you see yourself in maybe you know what, what is it that keeps bringing you back to monsters yeah. specifically? I just think they're the best thing in the world. I mean, like there's nothing <laughs> better than than monsters. I mean, I like all those a lot of those uh, subgenres you mentioned. I I really like to different degrees. You know, body horror is really high up, but you know, you know torture porn's kind of way down at the bottom. But monsters are always so fascinating i mean like it's just uh there's so much you can do with it it can it can uh fulfill so many different roles and ideas in a story it can be you know you can see yourself in the monster as the outsider you can do so much with the monster um you know on a deeper level even from just the surface which is that the surface is that monsters are the best thing and every story yeah Every, every story is better because the monsters, they kick ass. My answer is that monsters kick ass and I like <laughs> they're, they're the best. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if, if you were able to adapt your monsters and give your monsters the life that you want, I'm thinking about sort of the foremost, um, like propagate or the, the foremost booster of the monster in our culture right now, I think is probably Guillermo del Toro. Oh yeah. He, he, is, he has yeah, like a yeah. very particular, like pro monster agenda that he's pushing. <laughs> Uh, to the yes. point where, like, like the monsters are, are I think, always the protagonists of his films, uh, or, or at least the, the moral center of, the, of his films. I think the only exception is the Pale Man. And, um, yeah, I was going to say Pan's Labyrinth. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but otherwise, yeah. But, but, but you know, like, like the fawn is, is yeah, in, yeah. in that film, the, the moral center of it. If, if you were adapting your work, is that the kind of, of approach you would take with your monsters, or...? Uh, are are they more more purely monstrous, more in the xenomorph line in in your mind, in your heart? Um, it definitely depends on the monster and the context and the story that I'd be I'd be telling. Because there are definitely, even from just like the roster of of ones I put online and drawn, there are ones that definitely have that uh, you know interior life and uh, sentience and and cognizance and, and uh, things they want outside of that. And then there are other ones that would definitely be more to fulfill a role in a story, uh, to represent different themes, or just even to be like the the big scary monster that chases someone down and eats them. Because all those things are fun in different ways. Um, but if I was going to do something that was like a bigger project, like say a Del Toro kind of thing, 
I would definitely want to, you know, definitely the more interesting avenue is something that has an interior life and uh, an ecosystem it's from or, or somewhere it's from that is being interrupted. Um, I feel like a lot of the monsters I draw are equally as confused as maybe the people encountering them. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe things that are stuck or stranded. Um, I think that's really interesting. What do you think about when you're considering a new design? You know, is there a thought process that you return to? There, yeah. I mean, there's things that I get hung up on, and I'm, you know, I definitely have to like try and uh, vary some design choices uh, while also keeping it something that I find interesting or scary. There's some stuff I just won't incorporate into a monster design because I don't think it's very, you know, fun. Like, you know, tentacles are something that I generally, generally don't really have because i don't think that that's scary when in fact they out. are they're played out a little bit and i'm sure there's there, there are a lot of ways to do it in a way that isn't played out but uh it's just i don't have that i haven't hit that yet i don't know i haven't got there yet um but when i'm starting a design i just will usually have one thing that i want to express or it could be as simple as like what if there was a guy but his head was on upside down or whatever uh and then just go from there and kind of feel out the rest of it from there. And then usually once I've done the whole design, then I'll come up with the backstory at the at the end to kind of like retrofit why this thing is here and what it's doing and why it's in this photo or drawing or, or whatever, what have you. That's such an interesting process because I find, I find that when we write episodes of Wrong Station, for me at yeah. least, I'll often start with, um, you know, an image Will yeah. come to mind or or a kind of person will come to mind and yeah. and everything kind of grows out from there but you know it, it's it's almost as if it doesn't matter where that initial spark comes from everything just kind of grows out from that point and if it if that if this point that i'm imagining is sort of towards the end of a finished product in my head it'll still yeah. grow backward or if it's at the beginning yeah. it'll grow forward and, and exactly yeah yeah but i what i find really interesting is you know, uh, not to get like philosophical, but like it kind of reminds me of like, you know, Taoism and this idea of, you know, the effortless action and the idea mm -hmm. of like just allowing things to kind of come to you and then making movements that are the, the that require the least amount of energy for them to be yeah. sort of successful and to, to make you feel like you're in the moment and creating the thing as it's happening. And it yeah. sounds like you, you're, you're sort of talking about this in like a, it's it's just very familiar to the experience of writing these kinds of stories and to, yeah. and to working them out in a in some way. Uh, definitely, um, the, yeah. I was just gonna say, yeah, definitely. All the ones that have in the long run turned out to be really popular were definitely the ones that I were were not like belabored. They were the ones that like I had an image, and then it just kind of like worked itself out from there in a way that I can't really parse. Yeah, it's yeah. you're just sort of creating a representation of the thing. Yeah, that haunts you in your own brain, and then you're like, I don't know if anyone else is going to feel this way. And it turns out that like most people's brains are, you know, about like seventy five yeah. percent the same. So yeah. you're you're probably going to find someone. And uh, you know, I'll I'll do something, and I think you know, I try and be like the extent of it, like uh, this seems cool to me. We'll see if anyone else likes it. You know, I try and keep it like not really hinging on you know be becoming popular. Because most of the stuff that I've done that's become popular, it wasn't until like three years after the fact. Like I did really? Siren Head in 2019, and then it didn't get like properly popular until April of 2021. 
I think. Oh, wow. Do you know what happened? Yeah, I know exactly what happened. It was really weird. It was right right after my birthday in April. And um, I'd done the character a bunch of times in a a bunch of drawings, like play protect and whatnot, like I do. And uh, it had been popular. People like this was good. This is a good design and everything, but you know nothing had really come of it. And I, I move. I just I was at a time in my life where I was working retail, and I would come home from working at a bookstore until like ten o'clock and want to do some art, but I didn't really. I was exhausted, and it was late at night, so I didn't really want to do the whole background. And I, I was basically I was lazy and tired. So I decided to, you know, do the thing with the photos where people, and it became like an interactive thing. People would send in a photo of their spooky driveway, and then I would get the exercise in each day of doing like two or three of these monsters. And it became like a thing where it was just like a test of trying to, you know, figure out how to do shadows the best, how to do lighting the best, how to match color the best, and also just kind of spur of the moment creature design where like I wouldn't think too much about what was going to be there until I was actually drawing it right on the photo. And then at the end, being like, oh, I'm going to use this photo as if it's from somebody else to kind of come up with a story and then put it all together. Um, so at that time, I did I did Siren Head, like I said, a couple times. And it was popular, but I moved on and did other stuff. And then a couple months afterwards, uh, a mutual online uh, was like, oh, this character's cool. Can I do like a little game demo, which is like a very simple level where you're like a... a camp counselor like going along a path in, a, in the woods and you encounter siren head and i was like sure of course yeah you know just credit my name and whatever and it was it was great it's really fun it's like the first siren head thing and then years went by and then uh in april of i think 2020 or 2021 um two things happened within like two days of of, of each other and that was that uh the uh youtuber markiplier oh uh, yeah found that game and played it and um, like the next day, uh, an animator on TikTok, whose name escapes me, unfortunately, made a video, um, probably from the game, of a giant siren head over like a city uh, with like sirens going off and people shooting at it. And those two things happening at the same time, like made him go viral on TikTok and YouTube and everywhere. And mm-hmm. then it like blow it exploded from there. It was absolutely just those two or three things like then. A bunch of other game YouTube YouTubers started playing Siren Head games, and then more people, people started unlicensed plushies. And... Oh yeah, those plushies! Oh, yeah. I'm I'm waiting until I can find one in Toronto, like in in a in a store, like for it to go full circle back to me of like the bootleg uh-huh. plush. But they're like everywhere. They're they are in, un, unstoppable, undefeatable um, at this point. Uh, yeah, it's it's really weird. But um, yeah, that was the two things I think that did that and. I've had similar success uh, with things going viral and becoming weirdly popular, but not as much as um, Siren Head did. And I think it was because of those things. So in this period where you're just where you're just drawing uh, three monsters a night into, yeah. into photographs, how do you how do you stop from hitting the same beats over and over again? Or do you lean into do you lean into those beats and try and explore them more deeply? How yeah. do you keep from getting stale? Uh, well, unfortunately, I think that, uh, you know, it, it could be argued that I just did lean into them and a lot of my designs are very similar. I think the ones that are successful and the ones people remember and then kind of catch on are the ones that move away a little bit from those mm-hmm. um, in some ways. Um, but for everyone that was really popular, there were like, you know, five or six that I did that are just okay popular because they're kind of the same guy over and over again a lot. 
Um, and I think just the sheer quantity of grinding those out when I was doing mm -hmm. like three, three or four a night for probably two or three years, um, it, it helped me just burn through kind of bad ones, uh -huh. I guess. And sort of first thought. First thought, yeah. Uh, there's only a few that I never put online, um, so it's it's all out there, and a lot of them are, are quite. You can tell I'm not as not very good at them, um, especially the 28, 2019 ones that I think are mostly just on Instagram. They might be the only place where they're officially from me still online, but I think that just burning through them like sketches helped uh, by design, kind of as a brainstorming process for the monsters and designs that were more successful. Like I don't think there's a Siren Head without without like the 30 or 40 kind of crappy ones I did. <laughs> so do you have, uh, we've talked about how, how creating a bunch of, of great monsters yeah. has given you a sense of what good monster design is. What do you think is bad monster design? Uh, you um, know, teeth and claws and stuff, obvious stuff, but is there anything, is there like a philosophy of bad monster design in the same way as you have a philosophy of good monster design? Yeah, there's a few, there's a couple. And I want things. you to name names here. Give me some examples in the culture of what you think are bad monster designs. Uh, Burn some bridges. Let's get into it. Well, I think that um, uh, I'm as guilty as anybody is uh, perpetrating certain designs that will start popping up. Um, like, you know, there's a lot of really skinny, emaciated dudes in in movies and stuff now. And I, mm -hmm. I, I think that might be a little bit to do with Sirenet. I don't know. I could be um, wrong. But, you know, it, it, it's there's a bunch of them that there are certain monsters that I will will just have qualities that I don't like, like uh, you mentioned like sharp teeth and stuff that can work. There are exceptions to prove the rule, but like anything that really points uh, definitively to the intention of a monster. Um, and usually it's the intention is going to, it's going to kill any, it's going to be as scary as a lion, which is scary, but like, it's not really iconic to me as a, as a monster. You know, whenever you see a monster that has like, I think Del Toro's actually talked about this before that there should never be a monster design where, the angry expression or the the hostile expression is baked into it because then you lose all kinds of uh, depth and expression, um, especially when you have someone in prosthetics playing it. So whenever you see a monster with those brows, like the angry brows, mm -hmm. it, su it sucks. Like you've just limited yourself so much by giving it like an, a permanent angry expression. Um, I find that so unfortunate. Um, but my big personal one is that uh, and this is not a knock on the original design. The original design is great. It's for, you know, the, the waves out in, in the culture afterwards was the monster from Cloverfield, okay. uh, which was a great monster design. It's just that because that monster design was so cool, every single goddamn science fiction and fantasy and horror movie with a monster for the next like 20 years just had more Cloverfields in it. They were all like the monsters in, um, my God, the the movie where they can't talk because of the monsters. You know, it's a... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And a Quiet Place. A Quiet Place. Those yeah. are just Cloverfields. Those are Cloverfields again. There's a million Cloverfields. They're like these skinny, emaciated dudes, but with the big backwards arms, like yeah. a bat, and then like a weird, slightly weird head, which, you know, I've just kind of described Siren Head. So, you know, what can... <laughs> <laughs> but that's uh, the... Yeah. And, and, you know, sorry, I just wanted to point out the thing about the yeah. little extra, like extra Cloverfields. It actually yeah. reminds me of a, a movie that did it quite well, which is yeah. Shin Godzilla. Oh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Where you only find out at the end when they've averted disaster, you know, yeah. uh, not to not to spoil the film, but, you know, and, yeah, and, and there's that one moment, that one like 
series of shots and it's like oh god like that was close those guys are cool though i really like those humanoids and especially like they get away with so much just by having them be in that one kind of monumental image at the very end you don't have to see them like scampering around and and maybe looking ridiculous in a bad way um you just get that that silent horrible doom-filled image it's one of the best endings it is it's amazing it's so good and it helps that all the designs of uh the actual godzilla in that film are just like so weird there's a there's a perfect one for for a design has to be at least a little bit stupid or sillier or ludicrous looking the first form of godzilla yeah. those, those big chicken eyes it's a baby uh, it's a baby yeah and it, it, it if it had angry like an angry expression or it looked like more like a, a fearsome dinosaur or whatever all the directions they could have done for that first form of godzilla it wouldn't have been you wouldn't it wouldn't stick in your memory it wouldn't have the impact it does but because it's this weird like frail looking but still gigantic thing that's bleeding out of its gills and has these big weird chicken eyes like no one's going to forget that design no it's amazing the first shot when it's running down the street and you first see it over top of the whole crowd is well it's incredible yeah yeah i'm thinking now about how like lions are very dangerous but hippopotamuses are much more dangerous yeah Yeah, that's true yeah and they think about how or or like how in you know even in prehistoric planet they've got like the t-rexes they've got this big like thick and chunky bodies yeah it's way cooler it's way it is is. yeah absolutely when they have weird like hair on them and and they don't look streamlined or or designed to be cool and scary then they they end up being they have more character and it ends up working in their favor for being scarier for me i was gonna say hyenas Oh, hyenas hyenas yeah. are, are and i feel maybe the most terrifying animal like mm-hmm. up close i think if you are near a hyena like i don't know i think it's gone very wrong i think i i think i saw it one maybe i saw them one time at the zoo and that is the most scared that i've been near an animal is yeah because they they've got like they they to your point about like emaciated like hyenas are emaciated by design it looks like they've got weird they all look mangy they've got like tufts of hair their jaws look malformed and and you know like and they're built to chew bone that's why they look like that but they don't look like that's been done intentionally it looks like someone's jerry-rigged like a dog to a lion to a tasmanian devil and they're like that's an animal and then they threw it out into the world and now it just fucking kills things and they put like a chimpanzee brain in there they put a yeah. super smart brain in there yeah yeah i mean and the fact that they do that weird giggle too. yeah they let yeah. and then they let it laugh they were they like let eh, let's let's give it a sense of humor about yeah. all this horrible shit that we've crammed inside this uh 180 pound body i think that in our brains we have like a, a specific little synapse that gets tripped whenever we see something that looks like it's starving to death or dying um even when it's yeah. healthy and that's like a, a specifically a something that you know really weirds me out in a way. Uh, so yeah, I, I, that pops up a lot. Maybe it's even evolutionary. Maybe maybe it's just you know you see something that looks like it's starving to death or dying from disease, and you're like, I don't want to get sick. Keep that yep. thing away from me. Exactly. Yeah, I think so. Something like that, maybe. Yeah. So skinny emaciated dudes are they're like sour beers. They're played out. We've had a little it, bit. We've done it. What's the next thing? Oh God, I don't know. What's I the mean, Italian pilsner <laughs> of monsters? I I I hope to find that out. Honestly, that sounds delicious and refreshing. But um, you know, right now I I'm I'm seeing a, a lot of that, so I want to you know try not to do that myself. Even though 
it's something I have to force my hand back from because it's what I find weird and creepy. Mm -hmm. um, so it's hard. <laughs> have you ever considered making a monster with a dad bod? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, definitely playing with different forms and shapes uh, is good. I also don't want to go too far, though, because there's a lot of, you know, I never like seeing, a, like, fatness portrayed yeah. as inherently monstrous. That's something I really actively try and avoid. Um, and, yeah, so no, I, I, happy I, middle ground. I'm saying Siren Head, but he's, you know, he's 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 had a beer a night for 10 years. He's yeah. wearing a, a Packers jersey. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> There's He's some, talking uh, about beating the spread. There's some thick fan art of, of Siren Head you could probably find. Wait, thick you dig, Siren Head. You dig into the uh, internet a little bit further. Uh, the, the I mean, on the subject. <laughs> yeah. Siren Head. Oh, my Siren God. Head. <laughs> That's yeah. beautiful. I, I love that. <laughs> I wanted to say one other thing, because you mentioned that you created Siren Head in 2019, and then we were talking about how you wanted your art to feel like it existed for like a long period of time, like that this is stuff that's been around. I, I got to say, I thought that was like 2012. I like, and oh, I'm really? usually good with dates. Oh yeah, I was sitting there. I'm, I'm sitting there and you're like, 2019, what the fuck is he talking about? This yeah. guy doesn't know when he made I his own art. I definitely remember seeing Siren Head in 2012. Yeah, I was at a oh. party at a university. <laughs> no, well, it's definitely but... part of that tradition of like, uh, it's definitely in the long line of very... Um, kind of retro creepy pasta like like slender man obviously that yeah. kind of thing so but as part of that's by design for sure but i think i think that that's like a you know on on the subject of of how you create these things um i think the creating something that feels kind of timeless to you know to to an extent obviously yeah. like uh, but it, it it feels like siren head could be from the 60s the 70s the 80s the 90s like it, yeah. it's not it's not tethered to any specific time or place and i think that there's something really cool the, the way that you were able to do this was by essentially in a way giving up your authorship like yeah. you're you're the man behind the curtain people don't you know you're not you're not going out of your way to um directly associate yourself with it like someone like a siren yeah. head game it's based off your design but you're not the one making the game for example no yeah yeah, no, that was definitely part of that was, was you know, part of the initial, de like, design choice of, like, kind of letting it go. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that eventually got taken out of my hands completely where it would just, when it goes viral, when something goes viral on the internet, it's just fully, it's gone. It's out mm -hmm. of the gate. The, the barn doors are open, as it were. Um, but that was definitely part of the process in the early part when I was making the character and also, you know, working with that medium and just trying to get some of that spooky like early like you said early 2000s to 2012 creepy past to going um it's part and parcel with it i think uh so i want to go back a little bit to what you were talking about earlier about um you create monsters and then afterward you sort of figure out what they're about or um, yeah have you you've never gone the other direction you've never had a concept for what a monster is about and then drawn it from there well usually i'll have the like you mentioned uh earlier uh the spark of like mm -hmm. an idea like and then that image that the image of of some characteristic or something i'd like to see done and then i'll paint and then do the rest but i've never had a fully formed character um with a backstory and all that um even like you know at this point with a lot of the characters they'll they'll have anywhere from no backstory at all just wanted to kind of see what it would look like 
in that environment um, to the barest framework, all the way up to like, you know, things that I could think I could fill out and have ideas for. Like I have an idea for a Siren Head story with characters and what that would look like and a few other ones, but it's a whole range in between. And I've never started with the fully thought out one and mm -hmm. then done the character for it. That's, that's not happened. That's, that sounds um, good. That sounds nice. I wish I had that um, <laughs> a story first. Uh, that's the hard part for me. I'm good. I'm good at doing characters. I think that look pretty interesting. It's just like getting the world that they live in and the characters that would interact with them and what would happen in a three act structure. Say mm -hmm. is hard. Is harder. That's yeah. after the fact. Yeah. Well, I, I was I was really interested because when I was doing research for for this interview, I was going through. You've got a whole. There's a whole Trevor Henderson wiki with just like sure dozens is. and dozens and dozens of monsters, and, and all of them have yeah. this like huge you know, mythos around them. Uh, and then, you know, Mayfair Watchers Society is obviously yes. doing that. Like these these things sort of, like it reminded me a lot of, I, I did a medieval studies major. They reminded me sort of of like the medieval bestiary is this like kind of text that has yeah. existed for like, uh, you know, all the way going back to, to ancient Greece. And the, the thing that sort of unites that type of text as a genre is that all of the like, examples of different monsters and creatures that exist in the world are sort of like metaphors and moral lessons mm -hmm. and like yeah like in the medieval bestiary it's it's like every single story every single monster in here is like a little like life example of like a religious teaching and yeah. i just think it's really interesting how like these these texts this sort of meta text that you've created is kind of the opposite of that is this sort of like like bestiary of the internet where yeah. it's not rooted in any sort of like divine truth, but in like this cosmic, this empty cosmic horror. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I just wonder like, like the bestiary is, is about sort of teaching a kind of moral lesson. And I wonder if, if there's, if there's something you want your audience to understand about the world from, from the monsters that, that you've created and, and, and put together. Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting. Um, yeah, I agree that there's definitely no, they're not supposed to be lessons or moral lessons or anything like that. Um, that would be an interesting exercise, though. Um, but I definitely want to, I guess that I want to kind of show maybe a fresh way looking at spaces in the world that mm -hmm. you might not think about. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there's a certain... Um, uncanniness to things like spaces that we don't even see anymore because it might be on your like daily commute or whatnot you know like mm -hmm. uh and i don't i won't won't say liminal because liminal so over <laughs> overused and doesn't really even mean anything anymore at this point but just you know common spaces that everybody sees and nobody really sees because you're just kind of going about your day and i just want to draw attention to that with these uncanny creatures and just kind of tied into like what you brought up way earlier about like that fear of the dark you had when you were a kid and that fear of um you know being alone and like very rooted in childhood kind of like fears and anxieties and then kind of tying that into you know the modern day if mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah mm -hmm. i think so i mean i think something that's really interesting i'm not going to tell you your business but no, something no. that i noticed while <laughs> while looking at your... i will your business is good Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, I can't say that. So, okay, fine. But what I what I noticed looking through your designs, something that I noticed that you return to often mm. is the idea of the past as something that is full of sort of unknowable 
horror, I guess. And, yeah. you know, this goes not just with, you know, um, you have Cartoon Cat, which is quite popular, which yeah. is sort of your Felix the Cat, uh, I, I would say, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, and, but then not, not just that, but also the singing clergyman we were just talking about, the sisterhood of, is it the sisterhood of the ever sharpening blade? Yes. Yeah. yeah uh, right. Also Victorian era style there. But beyond yeah. that, uh, Siren Head itself has a, that is not a modern siren. That is a 60s, 50s siren. Yeah, that is the right. kind of siren that you would see in your high school that was like Alexander and I, we went to the same high school and we went to, and it was built in 1918 and a lot of the facilities hadn't been updated in, in decades because, uh, well, you know, you could say it's because they still work or because there's not enough funding for public schools, but yeah, go vote in the Toronto election, by the way. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but, but yeah, but, um, yeah, like it's just, you know, th this, this continuous sort of return to, uh, the past as, as a source of horror, not necessarily, you know, a source of, of, uh, malignant or, or, um, something that's, you know, actively trying to kill you or, or injure you, but as a source of, spooks i guess is a better yeah. way of putting it scares just like the when you're a kid and and if everything feels so much bigger and more fraught with with peril maybe and just like not regular peril but unknowable peril um that's really interesting and i think a large part of that is just you know i'm 37 you know i grew up in the 90s so a lot of that is just almost unconsciously like my reference my point of reference for certain things um and i i'm sure it's also tied into you know you get the modern ARGs with um, analog horror. And that's mm -hmm. all, you know, that's definitely a vibe that I am at least a little bit partial to, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess that kind of just snowballs together into um, being kind of a reference point for a lot of my work, yeah. I think there's also something to the idea that the past is uh, uncanny because it's like half a step or one and a half steps removed from our experiences in the present, which means yeah. that there are dis there's different slang, different terminology is used. Like when was that la just as an example, when was the last time you used the word clergyman? I yeah, like I guess you, so. you just like don't you, I, I like I in, in everyday life, I know what it means. Yeah, but I, I think that might be when I said it out loud to you five minutes ago, that might have been the first time I've ever said that word. You know, and I didn't like lot, it. <laughs> yeah. A lot of that is like completely unconscious on my part. Um, but I guess it is trying to root a lot of this in the past. Like I could have easily called that thing the, the singing priest, mm -hmm. um, but also it doesn't sound as spooky. It sounds way spooky if you say the singing clergyman. So that might be that must might be part of it as well. But mm -hmm. I definitely like that archaic vibe is definitely something that pops up a lot. And it, it is intentional in a lot of ways. Hmm. Um, so it seems from your online presence that your response to these creatures is 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 one of delight. Uh, oh, yeah. Like 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 you love these guys. Like do they still scare you? Oh no, I don't think any of the things I've drawn have ever really scared me, except for maybe like one or two kind Was of there one off. Any point one -off. that they scared you in 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 the process? Is it just when they once they became familiar, they stopped being scary, or were they always just products of of love? I think it's just you know being the one who drew them all it's really hard to be scared or find them even uncanny because it's all me just focusing on you know rendering and light and tone and stuff um mm -hmm. they definitely all incorporate different aspects of stuff that i find really scary in 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 other things and you know in the real world um but not them specifically i guess you know it's really hard to find them scary they're all my characters <laughs> mm -hmm. is here's a question though have you ever yeah. 
been online, you know, in your in one of the horror spaces that you you frequent, and someone sent you an image, and you're like, oh, like like you got spooked by an image, yeah, and then you realized, oh, wait a second, that's their interpretation of one of my characters. Like, have you ever been spooked by someone else drawing, not necessarily Siren Head, but anything? I don't think so. I think the recognition goes before anything else. Interesting. I definitely appreciate fan art. Like, there's been some incredible fan art. Um, but no, I think that I'm like, oh, that's one of my characters first before I can even get scared or, or startled even. Can I make a so request? For... Scare you? Oh, sorry. Oh, the number one thing that scares me, um, besides all the normal boring shit, like, you know, failing and global and warming, global warming, all that stuff. Bees. It, bees. Yeah. Uh, being mediocre, all that, uh, the the the, the, the kind of like legit scary thing that, that gets me is um whenever a, um you know pops up in a horror novel something is um uh, hostile architecture hmm. really gets me like House of Leaves like you're in a building and the building's changing around you and the building hates you and knows <laughs> you're there that stuff bothers me so much like and stuff and besides that whenever there's a fate like way worse than death where someone's like trapped forever in infinity like those kinds of concepts always really bother me um a lot uh mm. there's a really good movie called occult by koji shirashi which mm. you can watch on youtube for free mm. um that has a concept towards the end that i won't spoil where where someone well i won't spoil it but it involves the concept of infinity and it's it's very frightening to me have you seen the uh, short film curve on youtube uh, I love Curve. Curve one is of the so best. Oh, yeah. So fucking good. I made a list of short films. I made like a post on Twitter, I think, like a year ago. And, uh, you know, just being like, here are my four or five top favorite uh, yeah. short, short horror films. And then I realized after that, they were all about like scary buildings that hate you and want you to die or weird pits that are alive or um, just different architecture and structure related scares. It's For really people who. That that's oh. not the work that you do. It's yeah, really, that's really fascinating. Away from that. Yeah, I, I've, I've flirted with that a little bit once or twice, but I really should because I think that would be really weird um, and cool. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, honestly, but I mean, that's the funny thing is actually you do do that. You just do it in your own way because, as you pointed out, like one of the key aspects of your art is that it's photos of places mm, yeah. mm -hmm. that have then been made scary. But it would be really cool for you to like, I don't know, make a no monster, just like no. the environment. Or like a building in the middle of the desert or something. Like something... I did one. Let me see if I can find it and drop in here. But it's like, okay. um, it's one of the few examples of this. And it's uh, a building, just a, a weird grassy plain with a building. And the building is um, like duplicating itself. It's like, uh, it's called architectural mitosis. Where mm. the building is like dividing and growing in this weird can cancerous malignant way. Um, yeah. We got a Henderson exclusive. Oh, I posted it a while ago. I think. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Not an exclusive. Damn it. Um, but I'll, I'll, let me see if I can find it. You can, you can go on. I don't want to hold everything okay, up. Okay, sure. Um, I, I am, now I'm curious if you listened to the second last episode in uh, our most, like the, the season of Wrong Station that just ended because it's all about a, Ooh, a no, building. It's about a skyscraper, or it's about the building of a skyscraper. I won't give it much away, but similar sort of uh, pseudo. Ooh. I'm gonna look at this. Let's look at this I love spooky. this. Th this is this is exactly the kind of uh, sensible uh, mid-range <laughs> urban development that is illegal. <laughs> in America. Yeah, yeah it's this mostly, is. <laughs> it's my fear of condos and condo development r rubbing out every 
interesting or or individual thing in a city. Vote for Olivia Chow. Uh... Vote for Olivia Chow. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I haven't listened to that yet. That sounds totally my shit, though. I got to get on that. Yeah. No. No rush. I was just. Uh, I was just curious if you had thoughts about it. Uh, but yeah, and nice. that building is. That's a great building. Yeah, uh, it's great uh, the original. Thank you. The original. It was just a, the first. The first floor of it is the only mm. um, actual thing. Everything else is just built up on it through. Oh, very cool. Photoshop. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, let's 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 move on now to talking about a real monster. This Ooh. this industry, you know, this <laughs> this industry no, of uh, trying to make a living in the arts uh, on the internet. Yeah, uh, the kind of work you're doing is, you know, creating monsters online for, for millions of people isn't something that existed I'm 50 baffled. years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wh- where do you where do you see things going in the future? Uh, from from a, both in terms of your personal career and also in you know the the field the well, industry first first That's off it. let me just say that i'm just absolutely i do not take it for granted that i can draw monsters and people like them and it's enough that you know people hire me to do commission work and i can live off of it that's incredible mm-hmm. um i just hope that that for my future i hope that i can keep paying my rent with monsters is a if, true if, toronto answer that would be <laughs> Amazing. I just don't want this to collapse. That's my that's my yeah. goal. But, you know, I would love to work on certain IPs. Like if they ever bring back Ch- Channel Zero, I'd love to be involved mm. in Channel Zero, mm. Creep Show, anything like that. Um, mm. As for a broader, like where things are going, I think that um, a big thing with modern horror right now and that I'm really excited about is... Uh, the kind of greater horror industry embracing analog horror in a lot of mm-hmm. really interesting ways, especially with a, a bunch of younger generations. Like, um, Skinamarink just came out and just, you know, your thoughts on the film aside completely, the fact that that got such an interesting response, such a huge response mm-hmm. and became a really popular in theaters film when it was like basically an incredibly scary to me art film mm-hmm. yeah. is very heartening. I think that people are hungry for something that's different. And I think that's kind of the direction a lot of horror is going to go. That, um, the Outwaters just came out, similar kind of approach. Um, we're all going to the World's Fair. I don't know if you've seen that movie. They're all These are all on my list. I, they're hard to yeah. access once they're out of theaters is the issue. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're all, I think, part of um, the analog horror kind of aesthetic and ideals of internet online horror um, kind of evolving into uh, different spaces, I guess. Um, I mean, even with uh, the Backrooms, um, there's an incredible series of YouTube videos with, God, the name of the the creator is escaping me at the moment. I'm terrible for that. But uh, he just got hired to do, or, you know, he is getting the opportunity to do a full length movie for A24 off of the Backrooms concept based on his shorts. And the shorts are incredible and he's 16 like and he's oh doing God. it he's filming it on his uh summer break right now i which don't is like just, that <laughs> i like that i think that's cool no like, i just i just don't like that there's someone who's 16 who's doing who's, who's oh no yeah, no, fourth. no i i'm twice that age give me the thing <laughs> i'm 37 and this guy's like 16 and he's like kicking my ass at it honestly uh <laughs> but i just think yeah it's cool that um you know, a younger generation who grew up on the internet and have this whole set of 
very specific anxieties and worries and and weird impulses fostered by being a kid on the internet Mm -hmm. uh, is now getting the opportunity to do these really strange uh, horror, new weird um, films. Um, And I think that especially with the response to something like Skinnamarink, it's going to just kind of snowball a little bit and that'll be the next weird direction it goes in, I guess. I'm I'm reminded of uh, Ted Chiang made a, a short story that I think was in um, the same the, like the 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 collection yeah. that's now called Arrival, but it had a different name and I can't remember the other name. But yeah. in that collection, he has a short story about um, uh, parents of kids who uh, they can basically opt into giving these kids brain chips uh, yeah. that speed up their brain development and allow them to do like new math and and new uh, language. But by doing this, they're also uh, basically condemning themselves to no longer being able to communicate with their children. Right. And I think about that when you're talking about analog horror and kids who grew up firmly online with a with a well, like with surrounded by the very fully developed web 2.0 social media situation. Yeah. And just how different that that was from my experience growing up. And like I grew up and by the time I was, you know, 10 internet was a fixture like in my house but it was not yet the web 2.0 that like these 16 17 18 year olds are growing up with yeah and just like like what you said about like their concerns and fears being so different from what my experience was which was like you know fucking angel fire and geosities websites and and like you know one time getting completely incorrect information for a project i was doing for school because i didn't know the page i was reading was satire like that was like that was like the worst thing that happened to me and now it's like a completely different experience and, yeah, and one that I can't fully communicate with and it's like how do you first of all how do you make horror for that audience second of all how do you consume horror made by that audience as someone yeah. who didn't grow up like that yeah yeah and like you know what is what are the brains of creatives that have had that terminal level of online for the last like 30 years going to look like what's that going to be like it's yeah. going to be weird and scary and i want to watch it it's a i got i got a heronos bosch painting going on up here it's not yeah, it's yeah. not good i got like a donkey sitting under a tree in my brain and they got yeah yeah whole other thing yeah my brain is uh like the saturn devouring his son yeah yeah, just, yeah but he's eating also my brain it's it's <laughs> a brain eating another brain up there yeah <laughs> uh well i think uh i think we're getting close to our time here so Thanks so much for for sitting down with us and chatting with us, Trevor. It yeah. was an absolute delight. It's so rare to have a conversation with with someone with Jacob, and every time Jacob mentions like a thing that he's seen, they've been like, "Oh my god, I know what that is." Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. This was great. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Is there cool. anything that you would like to plug before we yes, head out? Please. Oh, yeah. I guess the most prominent thing is uh, that I wrote a uh, kids horror book. Uh, for middle grade audiences with Scholastic called, uh, called Scare Waves, and it comes out uh, October 3rd, so fairly soon. October 3rd. It, yeah, I did the cover, I wrote the whole thing, and it's got 26 interior illustrations in black and white. It's very much like a, a Fear Street slash Stephen King's It for middle mm-hmm. grade audiences, but with just like chock-a-block full of monsters. There's like eight to nine different really weird monsters in there, and uh, I, I think I think kids will enjoy it. I love that. Really exciting. I'm sure I will enjoy it. I'm really excited to to get myself a copy. I hope you like it. I hope hope you enjoy it. Would you like to plug uh, any monsters that live in anyone's house? Uh, uh... You know, 
I don't want to ruin the surprise. They're going to mm. they'll make themselves known fairly soon. So just, you know, hold tight and uh, stay vigilant. Yeah. Don't check under your bed. Don't check your closet. They will come to you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Trevor Henderson. Find him everywhere online at Slimy Swamp Ghost. I'm all over the place. It's a all problem. All over the place. It's, yeah. yeah it's a it lot. It's a problem. But always yeah, as, <laughs> at Slimy Swamp Ghost. Yeah. It's like it's so a slimy swamp ghost on most stuff, but I am uh, Trevor Henderson, all one word on Instagram, and that's the best place to find all my art without like a bunch of bullshit uh, recommendations and stuff in between. So perfect. All right, thanks very much, everyone. And as we always say, thank you for listening. Bye.